So it is the end of the year. Today's the 28th. That means we're going to be turning the calendars over this week. Um, it's a transition. And life is full of transitions, as you know. Uh, you've been through a few of them in your days, I'm sure. Um, as a kid, I remember moving multiple times. How many of you moved as a child, like your family up and moved? Isn't that fun? Yeah, it's great when you're a kid and you leave all your friends behind. You go to a new school, new teacher, the whole deal. You don't know anybody. You have to start all over. You have to deal with all the social issues that kids have to deal with and making new friends and all that kind of stuff. But it happens, doesn't it? There are times when it's necessary and you have to uproot and you have to go. Sometimes uh, it's a matter of graduating from elementary school and moving on to junior high or high school um, or graduating from high school and moving on to college. Transitions take place in life. Um, they, they take place in our jobs. Some of you in 2014 had a transition in your job. Either you got laid off or you lost your job somehow or you left your job for another job and went to a different company or maybe you got a um, uh, Maybe you got a promotion within your company and you moved from one job to another. Some of you held more than two jobs during 2014. Those transitions take place. They're always challenging. They're always difficult. We have transitions in relationships. Close friends come and go. Romantic relationships sometimes end even if we don't want them to end. And we have to go through those kinds of transitions. Life is just full of transitions, right? Well, we were looking um, the last part of 2014 at... Uh, this issue of the Jews and how they went out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And we saw the transition that they made there. And then we stopped looking at that story of the Exodus long enough to focus on Christmas a little bit. But I just want to kind of put a bow on that today because they had this amazing transition where life as they knew it was Egyptian. Now, think about this. Most of you know that your relatives, your ancestors were from a different country. Some of you know that your ancestors were just even your parents came from a different country, or maybe their parents came, or maybe it's three or four generations back, but most of us know our history, our family history, and where we came from. So just imagine this, that about 10 or 15 generations ago, some great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents came here from the mother country, and they landed here on Plymouth Rock, and they started this great nation known as America, and everybody in your family has grown up American since then. And when people ask you about your heritage and they ask you about your nationality, you say, I'm American. That's all I know. It's the only culture I know. It's the only history I know. It's all that I know. I'm American. I'm just American. Yes, I had some grandparents a long time ago, and they were from Russia, or they were from Poland, or they were from Germany, but basically, I'm American. That's what all the Jews in Egypt felt. Their ancestors had been in Egypt for 400 years. So they didn't think of themselves as anything but people of Jewish heritage who happened to be Egyptian. And then along comes God, and he calls on Moses, and Moses comes in and says, Hey, everybody, we're no longer going to be Egyptian. We're going to be our own nation. Everybody get up and leave everything that you've known, all of the friends that you've known, all the neighbors that you've known, all of the traditions that you've known, all of the familiar places that you've known, and you're going to get up and you're going to leave and you're going to make this massive, massive transition in your life. And that's what we saw as they left Egypt and they went out into the wilderness. And then as we've been watching this story unfold in the book of Exodus, we're seeing that time is going by. And if you know the whole story, you know 
that it took about a year for them to get to the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, they sent spies into the promised land, right? And the spies went in and they looked around the cities and they said, Oh my goodness, these are fortified cities with strong warriors. They came back with a report that said, Compared to the warriors in these cities, we're like little tiny bugs. We have no chance of taking these cities. And they were afraid. There were 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, we're too terrified to even lead our people into this. And the other two said, let's trust God. He said it's the promised land. Let's trust him and go there, right? But the ten outvoted the two, and they turned around and walked away from the land of promise that God had promised to give them. And they went back into the wilderness, and for 39 more years, they wandered around the desert. So that they were literally wandering for 40 years. And then they came to the place where all of the adults who had left Egypt were now dead. And there was only two remaining of the adults that had left Egypt. And you know who they were? They were the two spies who had said we should trust God in the beginning, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that were left. In fact, even Moses died. And so there they were after 40 years, and they've come to the edge of a river, not a stream, not a brook, a river, a big river. And they're looking across the river at the land that God has promised them, and they're now thinking to themselves, how in the world are we going to have this land that God has promised us? Because there's a giant river between us that we can't possibly get across. We don't have time to build a bridge. The, the warriors will come and wipe us out while we're building a bridge. We can't even get across the river. And even if we did, look at the walls around those fortified cities, and there are archers on the tops of the walls, and they will wipe us out. And inside the cities, from what we know from the spies, there are great warriors, and they're fortified, and they're set up to defend against us. And Moses just died. And they're standing there looking at those odds, and saying, what is up with this promised land that we heard so much about? Now, the generation that left Egypt had died, and their children are about to enter the promised land. And now to the forefront comes a character named Joshua. Joshua was a young man 40 years ago when they went in and spied out the city. He came back and saw the same mighty warriors, the same fortified cities, and all the things that everybody else saw. And he said, won't this be awesome when our God, who is way bigger than those people, wipes them out and gives us this land? He came back and he said, there are vineyards like you can't believe in this land. They've already built the city. The walls are already built. It's fortified. Once we have the city, we'll be protected. And there are houses built everywhere. We're going to be able to just move into the houses that somebody else built. We're going to live in fortified cities that other people sweated to create. We're going to eat the vineyards that other people have planted. What he saw when he went into the promised land was this amazing gift that God was giving them, but everybody else was afraid to go in. Now, Joshua was the right-hand man of Moses toward the end of his ministry. He was like his vice president or traveling secretary. So wherever Moses went, Joshua went. And Joshua was, was discipled and mentored by Moses. And he learned about faith and he learned about trusting God and he learned how to recognize the voice of God. But now he's standing before these millions of people and they have lost their leader. And he's standing there saying, hey, everybody, I'm going to lead you now. 
And they're going, yeah, that's just great, but there's a river and there's a wall and there are warriors and there's all kinds of problems that we're facing. How are we going to do this? That's where we pick up the story in the book of Joshua. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, right after the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Now it came about, after the, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, that's the big river, and you and all this people will go to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Now, it's not just that he spoke this to Moses, which he did. He said to Moses, this is the land I'm giving you, and everywhere that your foot trods will be your land. You will be a great nation, you will be a light to the world, and this will be your land. But he had spoken this promise way before Moses. It was a promise that Joseph was familiar with. It was a promise that um, Jacob was familiar with. It was a promise that Isaac was familiar with because it was a promise that had been originally made to who? Abraham. God said to Abraham, I want you to follow me and I am going to give to your ancestors this land and every place where your foot steps will be your land. Okay, verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon... Even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Let's stop there. So, so God speaks now to Joshua the way that he used to speak to Moses. And he tells Joshua very specifically what to expect. He says, that land that you can see right there across the river, that's the place. That's the land of promise. That's the land that I swore that I would give to Abraham, the land that I swore I would give to Isaac, the land that I swore I would give to Jacob, to Joseph, and to the descendants of the 12 tribes. And now you are about to experience the blessing of walking in that land, and it will be your land. And everyone who stands against you, I will wipe them out. Everyone who stands up to you, I will knock them down. Everything that has been built by someone else will be given to you by me because this is not their land. This is my land and I'm giving it to my people. And he makes them these outlandish promises. He says, don't worry about these warriors. Don't worry about these walls. Don't worry about the fortified cities. Don't even worry about the river. I'm going to take care of all of it. I promise you, I will be with you. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. Now, how cool is that? To get a promise like that from God. It's one thing if you have like some preacher stand up and give you a promise like that, and you kind of go, oh, okay. Or, or maybe if you read about it. Or maybe even if an angel came and said, hey, here's the promise God told me to give to you. But God himself speaks to Joshua and says, listen, you have absolutely nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. 
All you have to do is lead them across this river and into the city of Jericho, and I'm going to take it from there. You will be amazed at the things that your eyes will see. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you, and you will be victorious. It's like this amazing speech at the beginning of a football game for the coach that's talking to the team that is the underdog, and he's saying, listen, just trust me. I've got this all figured out. I have the game plan. I know exactly how it's going to work, and I'm going to make sure that we win this thing. Now let's go, and they come charging out of the tunnel. Imagine how excited you would be if you were Joshua, and you heard this promise from God. You'd be ready to charge into the promised land, and you wouldn't be the least bit concerned about what might happen to you. You'd be like a kid that's playing a video game, and if you get shot, that's okay because you have 100 extra lives. You just click on this and you pop back up. That's what he's promising. Don't worry. I'm not going to let you fail no matter what. Wouldn't it be awesome to get a promise like that from God? Directly from the mouth of God. But God wasn't finished speaking. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Now, it's at this point, I think that Joshua probably began to be confused. Because God had just said, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. I'm going to take care of everything. It's all going to go fine, and I'll be the one who does it. And now he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And Joshua, if he were me, would be thinking, well, wait a second. Why do I need to be courageous? Why do I need to be strong? It's not by my strength and courage that this is going to happen. God just said he's going to take care of all this. But now God is changing his tune and he's saying, hey, I want you to be very strong and courageous. Look at uh, continuing in verse 6. For you shall give this people possession of the land. Wait a minute. I'm going to have to do this? I'm going to give these people possession of the land? That's not what I thought you just said. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Now, it's not enough to be courageous. I have to be very courageous. I don't have to be courageous like a football player. I have to be courageous like William Wallace with my face painted leading people into this war. I have to be very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And then he goes on. He says, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. And now it's conditional. Be careful to follow the law so that you can have success. He's like, wait a minute. Two verses ago, success was guaranteed. And now I have to be strong and courageous and very courageous. And I have to follow the law so that I can experience the success wherever I go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now I have to meditate on God's word so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So it's not enough to know the word of God. We have to actually do the word of God. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he ends it with, again, be strong and courageous. This is weird. Because it starts to get fishy when you start saying, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. 
obviously this is not going to be easy. I'm not going to just tiptoe in there at night and everybody will have left and I just start moving the furniture in. I'm actually going to have to fight battles here. I'm actually going to have to lead these men into conquest. There's actually going to be a defense against us. We're actually going to have to go to war in order to get these cities. And God said he would give them to us. It's so important to recognize what God says here and what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, it will depend upon you to do this. He says again and again, I will do this for you. I will go before you. I will be with you. I will drive them out. I will make you prosperous. And yet he also says, that will happen as you obey me, as you trust me, as you take my word seriously, and as you act upon it. So what you don't get to do is sit there on your couch while God moves you into the promised land. You're actually going to have to get involved in the battle. And when you start looking at it that way, it gets kind of scary. In verse 8, there's a condition to Joshua's success. He has to trust and obey God. In verse 9, he's reminded that he can trust God, but his journey is going to take courage. And although God has made great promises... Those promises here seem to have conditions. And folks, there's a lesson for us to be learned that when God makes promises, they never come just by themselves. One of the things that happens when God makes promises is that those promises have specific instructions. Listen, even though God is faithful, even though he keeps his promises, there are always going to be seasons of life when it is challenging, when it is difficult, when it is scary, when it is hard to walk with God. Can anybody say amen to that? That's true, right? If you want to walk in the promised land, you have to be willing to trust and obey God. You have to be strong. You have to be courageous. How many of you like to ride roller coasters? A few of us. I remember uh, taking a youth group to Magic Mountain one time, and Magic Mountain is a place you go if you want to ride roller coasters right? It's not, there's no little cutesy merry-go-rounds. It's not, that's not what Magic Mountain is. You want that, go to Disneyland. But if you want to ride really crazy rides, you go to Magic Mountain, you give them your money, you take your life in your hands, and you hope to survive. That's how it works in Magic Mountain. And I remember taking a youth group, and I've always been wild about crazy roller coasters. I love to go on them. The bigger, the faster, the scarier, that, that's my thing. As I get older, I find that I still find that exhilarating and exciting as exciting as I find it when I'm throwing up in the trash can afterwards. (laughs) But I used to love to take youth groups and we would go, and there would always be in the youth group, we would usually do it in the summertime, right, as new kids are coming into the youth group, seventh graders who are brand new in the youth group, and they're being added to groups with 11th and 12th graders, and they're sort of looking up at these big kids and going, oh my gosh, what am I doing with these kids? And so you come and you take these seventh graders and you say, come on, we're going to ride this ride. And you point at this roller coaster that looks insane, and you, you get in the line with them, and they're sort, of, they're sort of shivering, and their teeth are chattering, and their knees are knocking, and they're thinking, I don't want to ride this ride. I don't want to ride this ride. But there's this sort of built-in peer pressure, right? They're with older kids, and so they have to ride this ride. So I would always get with the seventh graders, put my hands on their shoulders, encourage them, try to take their mind off it as we wait in line. And I'm encouraging these two kids one time, <laughs> and I'm telling them, you guys, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Look, there's a little kid coming off right now. He barely makes the height requirement. He's like three years younger than you, and he rode the ride. And as he walks past, we notice that he's wet his pants. (laughs) 
And that's not good, right? <laughs> that doesn't encourage people. But, but, you know, life is sometimes like the roller coaster. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It is scary. But if you want to live the exhilarating life that God has called you to live, you're going to have to realize that it can be thrilling, it can be exhilarating, and it is sometimes scary. And, and you're going to come out alive, right? You know that when you're waiting in line on a roller coaster, for a roller coaster. You know that there are like laws and engineers and they test these things and thousands of people have ridden this before you and none of them have died, right? But as you're going up that first rise where it goes click, 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 it's at that point when you think, you know, somebody has to die in this one day. I wonder if I'm going to, I don't think it's supposed to make that sound. And click, click, click. And you're wondering, am I going to live? Am I going to survive? And you start going and you have the exhilaration and you're going to survive. You're going to come out alive. And you know that in your head, but your heart tells you, I might die here. And that's what makes it exciting, right? Listen, I, I mean this, I think this illustration works. If you're going to really, really walk with God into the promises that he has for your life, you are going to feel this feeling often. You're going to feel this sort of exhilarated but scary feeling like you're experiencing something that is out of your control and you're not sure if you're going to make it and you're not sure if it's going to be okay. And you're going to have to get on that ride and you're going to have to ride it with God or you're going to have to be the kid who sits on the bench and watches everybody else. Those are your options. Listen, you're going to survive the roller coaster that God takes you on. You may wet your pants. I'm not saying you won't wet your pants. But you're going to survive. It's these kinds of seasons in which we make decisions that will set the course for the rest of our lives. The scary times. The times when God is calling us to something that we know is beyond our ability. And that to walk with God is going to take absolute faith. It's in these moments that the rest of your life gets determined in terms of its direction. Now there's some things that you need to know about God's promises, because God promised them, just as he has promised us not to leave them or forsake them. Has he made the same promise to us? Yes, he has. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent to be with the church, that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he will lead us into victory, that our victory is already guaranteed. He has already won it. There is nothing in question. We just have to ride the ride. But when it comes to the promises of God, there's been so much erroneous teaching about God's promises that we need to clarify a couple of things. First of all, as I said, God's promises come with specific instructions. Remember when he called Abraham? He made him a promise. He said, I am going to make you a great nation. Abraham didn't even have any children. He was already an old man and his wife was old and she was barren. And God said, don't worry, I'm going to overcome all that. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants will be like the stars of the sky or like the sand of the sea. If you could count that, then you can count your descendants. That is my promise to you. And not only am I going to make you a great nation, but I'm going to give you a great land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to possess the land your, your descendants will. And not only that, but I'm going to bless that nation, and I'm going to, through that nation, bless all of mankind. Abraham, you are going to get my blessing to the extent that you're going to become the central pivotal figure in human history from this point moving forward. 
That's the promise. And then he said, so get up from where you are. Leave the people that you know. Leave all the stuff that you've accumulated. Leave all the comfort that you're used to and follow me. Okay, God, where will I follow you? I'll let you know when to stop. I'm going to make you some promises, Abraham, but those promises have conditions. You're going to have to follow me to experience those promises. Same thing as we saw when the burning bush was, had a voice and God was speaking to Moses from the burning bush. He said, listen, I'm going to make good on my promise to Abraham through you. We're going to lead these people out of Egypt and all of these millions of people are going to be set free from their slavery and you are going to be the leader who defeats Pharaoh and leads these people to freedom. So, get up from where you are, leave what you've known and your comfort zone, go into a dangerous territory and confront the most powerful man on the planet and tell him that you are going to take away what he thinks is rightfully his. Talk about your roller coaster. That is scary stuff, right? But it comes with a promise. And the promise comes with instruction. God's promises are meant to be realized in our lives as we walk with him in obedience. Guys, we don't get to sit there, read about his promises, and go, yes, I have the promises of God. When we hear the promises of God from his word, the promises that he makes to us, they come with instructions. He says, follow me. What did he say to his disciples when they were not yet his disciples? They were fishermen. He said, leave your boats, leave your nets, leave your family, leave your business. Follow me, and I promise I will make you fishers of men. There's always instructions that come with his promises. How many of you have ever signed a legal contract? Okay. How many of you have ever signed a contract that was at least two pages long? The, the big kind of contracts, right? Yeah. Did you read them? <laughs> I hope you did. Did you look at page one where it has your name and a price and that sort of thing and then go through the next nine pages and go, I don't need to worry about that. Where do I sign? Let me tell you something. When it comes to contracts, page two matters, right? Have you noticed that in contracts there's often fine print? Is the fine print legally binding? Yes, it matters. You don't get to just take God's promises which are really a contract between you and him, and go, he made this promise once upon a time to somebody over there, I'm going to claim it as my promise, and now God owes this to me. That's not how it works. There is a context when God gives a promise, and the context has to do with not only his part, but also your part. You can't just claim Joshua 1, 3 through 5, where he says, I'm going to give you this land, and you're going to benefit, and you're going to prosper, and every place where you set your foot will be your land. You don't get to just claim that promise and ignore the verses that come after it, where it says, be strong and courageous, trust me, do the things that I'm calling you to do, take my word and put it in your heart, and live by it, and never set aside any of my conditions. You don't get to choose that way. And I'll tell you, there's been a lot of erroneous teaching from a lot of pulpits in this country in the last 10 or 20 years where pastors have been saying to people, you just find a promise in the Bible that was made to somebody somewhere sometime and you get to claim it as your own and then God is bound to do it. Listen, 
The minute you think that you're going to bind God to something, you've gotten confused with who's God and who's not, right? The promises of Scripture come in a context, and we have to take that context seriously, and a lot of times that context involves instruction. A lot of times that context involves conditions. Most of you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that a great promise? That you would not perish, but have everlasting life? It's the best promise in all of Scripture. But guess who it's for? Whoever believes in Him. The promise is not for everyone. Yes, it's true that God loves the world. He loves the whole world so much that He sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him... Whoever puts their faith in him, whoever trusts in him, experiences the blessings of that promise. Another of my favorite verses in, this, in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Another amazing promise. What if God was to say to you, listen, don't worry, I'm God and I will strongly support you. Go ahead and do what you're going to do because I'm going to strongly support you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of this. It's like the promise that he made to Joshua, right? I will strongly support you. Who will he strongly support? Those whose hearts are what? Completely his. There's a condition. It's not something that you earn. It's something that God expects of you when you enter into a covenant to walk in his promises. Romans chapter 10. Let's look this up. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Go to the New Testament. Right after Acts, you find Romans. Go to chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. This is a verse that many of you have memorized. You share it with people when you talk about how to come to know Jesus. Here's what it says, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a great promise, right? You will be saved. And it begins with the word if. If you will confess, that is to agree with God. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe, that is to put your full trust in, to put your full weight on his promise that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. His promises come with conditions. I want to show you one other example in the book of Deuteronomy. So go back in your Old Testament. Just before Joshua, you'll find Deuteronomy. And go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is the same context here. Now we're talking about the children of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land. So I want to give you this example from this context. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 22. God is speaking. For if, you might want to underline that word, if, if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you. And you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the river 
uh, the river Euphrates, as far as the Western Sea, no man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set your foot, as he has spoken to you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandment of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. So when he makes this promise to Joshua, when he says, don't worry, I'm going to hand you the promised land, this is not the first time this promise has been heard from God. He's been making it again and again and again and again and again. And he says, if you will walk with me in faith and obedience and trust, then I will drive out these people. You will dispossess them. They will look at you and run. When you looked at them, you said, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. But I'm telling you, if you will trust me, if you will obey me, if you will honor me and keep my word, then when you come into this land, they will look at you and say, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. And they will drop their weapons and run as fast as they can and leave all the spoil for you. That's my promise. If you will trust me, if you will obey me, if you will walk courageously with me. To experience God's blessings and promises, you have to walk with God by faith. There is no other way. So Joshua needed courage. And we need courage too. And I'm going to say something here that's going to make some of you very uncomfortable. But it's true, and I like watching you squirm, squirm so I'm going to say it anyway. Courage, real courage, is an indispensable aspect of the Christian life. You cannot be a Christian and a coward at the same time. If you don't have the courage to walk with God by faith, you will never walk with him, no matter what you believe to be the facts about Jesus. You will never walk with him as Lord. Let me show you a shocking, scary passage of Scripture. Go to the book of Revelation. Just turn to the last page of your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 21. And listen to this. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for, write for these words are faithful and true. Man, you talk about promises. God says, Listen, I promise you, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, and you're going to live in it. And there's going to be no pain. There's going to be no tears, there's going to be no mourning, and there's going to be no sorrow, and there's going to be no death. 
and I'm going to give that to you. That's a pretty awesome promise, isn't it? But look how it continues. Verse 6, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. You see that God is speaking of two different groups here? This one group who's going to live in the new Jerusalem, this one group is never going to taste death, they're never going to mourn, they're never going to cry, they're never going to experience pain again. And then there's another group, and we don't like to talk about it in church because people get all upset and offended, but God's word says there is another group, and that other group is going to burn in a lake of fire that literally are going to be separated from God and punished for all of eternity. On the one hand, there will be those who are blessed by God for all of eternity. On the other hand, there will be those who are punished by God for all of eternity. This is real and true. This is not a made-up thing. What is the difference? He's saying there are these two groups, the faithful who will be blessed and the faithless who will be punished. And when he gives us the picture of the faithless, Look at what he lists among them, murderers and sorcerers and idolaters. And you go, yes, I would expect them to be in that group. And who else? Cowards and unbelieving. People who will not believe God to the point that they will walk with him courageously. Folks, we got to take that seriously. To know him is to walk with him and to walk with him is to be courageous. There's no two ways about it. It takes faith and courage to follow Jesus as Lord. And if you will not follow him, it is because you do not know him. Because if you knew him, you have no problem following him. It takes faith and courage, but you'll follow a God like that. Courage is an indispensable aspect of the Christian life. But let's remember... Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to go forward by faith in spite of the fear. You have to walk with God in courage. It's okay if you wet your pants. But you have to walk with God in courage. Let me give you some verses, and we won't look them up today. You can write them in your notes, and you can go check them out. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, Fear is not part of the Christian experience. It's not that we don't see fearful things. It's that we will not be ruled by fear. In, in uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, it talks also about the trust that it takes to walk with God by faith. This is your homework this week, to look this up. And then there's this great prayer in 1 Chronicles when David is praying over his son Solomon right before David's death. And he's praying because Solomon is going to build the temple. And he's praying that God would give Solomon courage so that he can walk in obedience so that he will experience the blessings of God. Listen, do you think it took courage for the children of Israel 
to set foot into the Red Sea when the waters were standing up on each side? How much courage do you think it took for David to step out and face Goliath on the battlefield? You think that took some courage? You think it took a little bit of courage for Elijah to stand before 400 prophets of Baal and put his very life on the line, calling only in the name of his Lord? You think it took courage for Daniel to refuse to obey the edict of a king so he could obey the edict of his own king and to have to face lions because of it? You think it took courage for those Hebrew boys to stand before the fiery furnace and say, listen, throw us in, do do us what you will, because our God is strong enough to do with us whatever he wants. You think it took courage for Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water with Jesus? Of course. But those are the times that we truly experience God's awesomeness. And, and you may find what I'm about to say insulting, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but a lot of you are living pretty boring Christian lives. And you're going, you know, when I signed up for this, I, I read these stories in the Bible, and I heard about these miracles, and I heard about these people who experience God in powerful ways. And when I talk to other Christians, I, I hear about these amazing things that God is doing in their lives, but, you know, I just, I'm not seeing much of that. And is this really all there is? That, that I'm going to, uh, this is Christianity? Because what I'm experiencing, I'm bored to death. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, this should be a sign. You should be careful. If you are bored in your walk with God, if there's nothing terrifying ever happening in your life, if there's nothing exciting ever happening in your life, if you're never in a point where you go, man, if God doesn't come through here, I'm toast, then you're not walking with God. You have to walk with God by courage. Peter would have never known what it was like to walk on water if he'd have stayed seated in that boat. You go, yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but he took two steps first. How many have you taken? It takes courage to walk with God. And until you're willing to stand up and really follow God with all your heart, you will not experience the fullness, the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Be strong, my friends, and courageous. We're wrapping up a year, and we're heading into a new year. We're turning the page. In just a few days, your calendar is going to stop saying 2014, and it's going to say 2015. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, how did it get to be 2015? I remember when I was thinking 2000 was a long way off. The days are going by, aren't they? And you're about to turn the page again. And in 2015, you're going to need courage to be faithful and walk according to God's plan. And if you won't, you will continue to experience the humdrum existence that you've been experiencing up until now, and you'll be going, huh, what's wrong with my Christian life? Maybe God's not real. I wonder why he's not coming through for me. Faith begins with God's instruction, and it leads to our obedience. And so some of us need to lay some things aside as we end this year. Maybe you're struggling with pride, and and your thing is you're not really going to let go to God because, you know what, you can handle it. You're pretty smart. You're pretty capable. You're pretty able. You've gotten yourself this far, and you're not going to let God start telling you what to do and get all fanatical about your Christianity. You're just going to handle things yourself, and as long as you hold on to that pride, it's going to continue to be an anchor that is going to keep you in the wilderness, and you're never going to experience that promised land that you hear about. Or or maybe your situation is, is fear. And you're just so afraid of what if. What if God doesn't? What if God can't? What if God won't? 
or you're just going to sit back and you're going to wait and watch the game go by. Maybe you have doubts or discouragements. Maybe you're holding on to some habit that you know you should have gotten rid of a long time ago, but you just love it and you've gotten used to it and you don't want to let it go. And God's saying, fine, as long as you want to be Lord of your life, I will not be Lord of your life. But as soon as you're willing to step off the throne, I'll sit there and you won't believe the roller coaster ride I will take you on and how exciting it's going to be. 2015 is going to be different than 2014 for you. It's going to be because you took God in his word. And you are willing to be strong and courageous and walk with him. My friends, be strong and very courageous. For the Lord your God is with you.